0: Podcast.
1: All right, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Fighting Fit Show. Today, we are joined by Jordan Syatt. Hey, welcome, Jordan.
0: Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it.
1: Hey, very welcome, bro. Um, thanks for taking the time to come on. If anyone doesn't know a little bit about Jordan, Jordan is actually a five-time world record powerlifter. You kind of spent a little bit of time at Westside Barbell with the legendary Louis Simmons. He yep. had the, it was a Westside versus the World documentary on Netflix. Yeah. 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 Um, I know you're also a big Harry Potter fan, a student of BJJ. Um, you were Gary Vaynerchuk's PT for three years. Um, as well as that, anything else you don't want to add to that list,
0: Jordan, who is Jordan Saya? I think that's a pretty good list. I think uh, I, I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah, that's Jordan <laughs> in a nutshell. Yeah, exactly, man, exactly.
1: Coach, come here, what was it that got you into the, into the health and fitness industry, Jordan? I know you got in pretty young, around about 14
0: yeah, so I got my first uh, internship coaching job when I was 14 because I started wrestling when I was eight years old and I had to cut a lot of weight. So uh, I started at eight years old. I made varsity as a freshman in high school. And uh, I had to basically, I was good from a technique perspective, I was good from an endurance perspective. But strength wise, I was 14 years old going up against 17, 18 year old kids. So I figured I, I got to figure out how to lose weight and get stronger in order to be competitive. So uh, I applied to a gym near me and I was like, I'll take the trash out, I'll clean the floors. Like, let me just come and intern. And um, they took me under their wing and they were very, very science-based. So I really got thrust into the science-based world at a very young age. I worked there all through high school. And then my first client there was a 68-year-old guy named Fred. And uh, literally his only goal was to be able to pick his grandson up without hurting his shoulders. So at a young age, I learned not only not only great, great coaching strategies and, and anatomy and physiology and program design, but I, I think the most important part is I learned there's more than one goal that people might have. It's not just about looking good naked. There are many reasons why people train, and that's why I fell in love with coaching.
1: Amazing stuff. Cool, yeah. And uh, just to touch on your experience with, uh, with wrestling and making weight, obviously kind of uh, myself and my brothers, who are also coaches at my studio, um, we've all kind of competed in boxing over the years. And that has been a big part of my journey as well, kind of the whole having to cut weight, make weight for boxing. And it has also been something that's really kind of, kind of a few years back, you know, helped me pick up a lot of kind of maybe bad habits. Um, tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about your experience around kind of maybe cutting weight and kind of
0: how that affected you kind of in your teens. Oh, man, that destroyed my relationship with food really early on it uh i mean anorexia bulimia binge eating disorder like all like really bad stuff the thing about with, with wrestling is i eventually went on to, to powerlifting and i was fine with powerlifting because in powerlifting you only compete once every i don't know four six months or so in order to really like keep building up strength with especially with wrestling you have an entire season in which the whole season is just keep your weight as low as you possibly can. And then basically the only time that you can really eat a lot is after you weigh in for a competition. So you binge eat, then you restrict, binge, restrict, binge, restrict for four to six months at a time for years in a row. So it was awful.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, man. It's kind of similar to my my experience. Kind of got stuck in this mindset that I feel maybe a lot of people are in today, where maybe you're training only to lose weight rather than training for performance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good way to look at it. And and not to mention, I think there's just no, there's, there's no education on what's right and what's wrong. What's good, what's bad, what's healthy, what's unhealthy, especially at that age in that environment, it's really just do whatever you need to do in order to make weight. And you're surrounded by kids. You make varsity. Varsity is like the pinnacle of of high school, right? It's like, I'm carrying the weight of the school on my shoulders. I have like my my high school crush is watching, like every all my teammates are depending on me. It's like I wouldn't eat for two days in a row just to make weight. It's like it was that important.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, big time. Yeah, I was a similar experience. Kind of one <laughs> one um one night before I was competing. I think I lost like, you know, four kilograms or eight, nine pounds, you know, overnight, you know, kind of draining myself fast and yeah. you know I mean no salt, no carbs, all <laughs> all, the, all the old school tricks. Just to try and get that weight, then running, running with a sweat, a sweat suit on.
0: Yeah, I, I remember one time I was I was really sick, I was very very sick, and I couldn't compete. And I, I texted my coach the night before. I was like, I'm not going to be able to to weigh in. Like I'm not even going to go to school. I'm really sick. And if you don't go to school, you can't compete. And he was like, Okay, no worries. We'll have Evan who is the backup. We'll have him weigh in and he'll compete. And Evan went in and he didn't make weight. And so then my coach texted me. He was like. You got to get to school, and I was so sick. And looking back, my coach was an idiot—like, really, not a good guy. Like, I don't know how, probably late twenties, early thirties. But I was—I was a fourteen-year-old kid, and he's like, "You got to go to school so you can compete." And I was super sick, and I was a very young, impressionable kid. So I like forced myself to get up, went to school, and I like checked into my homeroom, like, to my first class of the day. So I was marked as attended. But then I spent the entire day running stairs with sweatshirts and sweatpants on, and I lost seven pounds in a day just wow. so I could compete. And I was deathly sick. It was awful. Yeah. It was like really stupid stuff.
1: Yeah, do you kind of say combat sports are kind of uh, left a little bit in the, in the Stone Age kind of when it comes to a lot of stuff like this? Like I remember when we, when we were teenagers kind of going down to compete for kind of, you know, uh, like provincial and national tournaments, it would be commonplace to see, you know, 11, 12, 13-year-olds skipping with black bags on you know, trying to make, trying to make weight, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's insane.
1: So what, what would you kind of say, what would kind of your, say, maybe your your top advice for maybe any, anyone who's maybe experiencing something like that right now, anyone who's only training for weight loss, or maybe they're, they're missing out on, um, maybe the beauty of training for, for strength and performance and kind of
0: missing out and all that. You know, I, I definitely have to make the distinction between someone who's solely going for fat loss and then someone who's like, trying to make weight for a competition, right? It's two so different things. It's like on one hand, someone who's trying to make weight for a competition, they're, they know it's not healthy, right? They are very well aware it's not healthy. It's like they're doing it because they, they want to win. The person who's, who's solely focused on weight loss all the time, I think it's important to say, it's not bad to want to lose weight. But with that being said, Usually when you shift your focus from solely wanting to lose weight to, well, I want to get stronger, to improve my performance, to, to to be a better individual, when you focus more on the things that you can add to your life rather than the things you can take away, oftentimes you'll achieve both at the same time. You'll lose weight, you'll get stronger, you'll get more defined, you'll improve your conditioning. But when you're solely focusing on trying to take things away, it's a very inherently negative mindset. Versus, well, what? How can I get stronger? How can I lift more weight? How can I do more chin-ups? How can I do more push-ups? How can I get better at jump rope? Whatever it is, now you're focusing on things that are going to make you better, fueling yourself properly, and then usually weight loss will come with that.
1: Amazing, so cool. And I heard in one of your recent videos that, um, kind of you've you've kind of you've broken the cycle of kind of the whole binge purchasing the, the whole lot. Maybe it's, you said I think it was over ten years since since, yeah. since your last kind of incident. What do you, what was kind of the defining moment for you? Kind of what what was the thing that really helped you kind of break the cycle?
0: So, well, so what happened was I started intermittent fasting when I was 17 years old on the advice of one of my other wrestling coaches who I actually do like a lot. He's a good man. And intermittent fasting is okay. It's, it's fine. It's not inherently bad. But if you are more prone to binge eating, it's a very bad idea to do intermittent fasting. Because usually what will happen is with someone who likes to binge eat, what they'll do is they'll save up their calories for the end of the day. And then they'll have one massive meal, eat as much as they possibly can. And usually it's way more than they should be eating and then go to bed, restrict all day and repeat the following night. That's essentially intermittent fasting. And it it gets you into that cycle. So you'll see people saving their calories, saving their calories, saving their calories, not eating, not eating, not eating, boom, binge. And so that's what I did. And it it persisted from basically 17 to about 20, 21 years old. And I remember, I just, I was, I I was in college, and I went back to my mom's place for a vacation, and I was just sick of it. I was just super frustrated and upset. With, I, I wouldn't allow myself to go out to have ice cream with my friends, because I was too nervous that I would have ice cream. But then I would stay at home and I'd binge eat at midnight, and I'd eat way more calories than if I just went and had ice cream with my friends. I was like, why am I doing this? So I vividly remember I went into my mom's bathroom and I looked myself in the mirror, and I was like. I'm not going to intermittent fast anymore. And, and it sounds almost ridiculous to say, it's like, well, cool. Why don't want you just have breakfast? At that point in time, the idea of breakfast scared the hell out of me. Like it, it was, I had been told and brainwashed into thinking that breakfast was bad for you, that intermittent fasting was, was ideal. It was optimal. So I remember I was like, I have to eat breakfast now. Cause I realized that not eating breakfast was causing my mind to then save up more calories so I could eat more at night. When, and the hardest thing for me to do was eat breakfast, but it was the most important thing for me to do at that time. So I started eating breakfast and ever since then, it was a, a great mental shift.
1: Excellent. Cool. Yeah, so kind of maybe the keystone habit of kind of getting that breakfast that was kind of maybe positively impacted in the rest of the day.
0: Absolutely. Get a nice big breakfast in. And, and listen, there's nothing inherently special about breakfast because there are going to be some people, well, breakfast doesn't, <laughs> it, it doesn't mean breakfast is magical. It doesn't boost your metabolism. It's solely from the Improving your relationship with food if you are, are someone who struggles with binge eating Don't save all your calories for night Make sure you have some earlier in the day because then it removes oftentimes that impulsive desire to binge later
1: Cool, yeah, so just kind of think everyone's a little bit different Kind of do what works for you kind of find find the approach that works best for you?
0: That's exactly right.
1: Yep Excellent, and I know you've kind of you've done a lot of wrestling. Obviously, when you were younger, you're big in the BJJ. Now I I hear as well that you you've been doing a little bit of boxing in the past as well. Kind of yep. what what is the attraction of kind of combat sports for you? Like, what do you what do you get out of it?
0: You know, I've it's a really good question, and I'm not really sure a hundred percent the answer. But I'm a small guy. Right? I'm I'm five foot um, hundred and forty five, hundred and fifty pounds. Like, I'm not like when people see me on the street, I, I'm not like intimidating at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and looking at, at everything I've done over my life in terms of wrestling, boxing, jujitsu, deadlifting four times my body weight. Like I've been drawn to things that allow me to reach a, a high level of performance and strength and dominance. And I think a lot of that stems from, I mean, being being in the society and culture that we're in, like being a small guy is oftentimes looked down. Like oh, you're small, you're weak, you're whatever. And I didn't ever like feeling like I couldn't defend myself, protect myself, or or hold my own. So I think I was drawn to things that would allow me to do that. And very fortunately, I also I think I had a knack for them. I was I was good at them. Uh, we tend to enjoy the things we like and and dislike the things we're not good at, uh, or we we enjoy the things we're good at and dislike the things we're not good at. Yeah. And so very fortunately, I I was good at them and I enjoyed them. If I had tried yoga, I probably would have stopped very quickly because I, I hate yoga and I'm not really good at it. But I, I'm good at wrestling. I'm, I'm, I'm athletic, hand-eye coordination, same with boxing. And I, I just like pushing myself on that level. But I think if I'm going to be very honest, it's that I don't like the idea of not being able to defend myself. And I don't like the idea of, of that being an issue in any scenario.
1: Cool, and then like the, the aspect of say maybe the competitiveness of I know you kind of had, had a had a great wrestling career and obviously BJJ kind of competitions that kind of stuff. Um, for me anyway, I was talking about it with Jono uh, on on our last podcast and kind of talk. He's a boxer and kind of talking about this kind of pre-fight anxiety and how maybe boxing and these kind of combat sports can really kind of help you kind of face your demons, face your anxieties, and kind of and maybe overcome them. Is that something that you've experienced?
0: Yeah, ab- without question, very much so. I, I think it- it's the habit of overcoming something difficult that you ingrain within yourself. It, it's that you make it a habit, you make it a skill, you do it over and over and over again, and you can carry that over to other aspects of your life.
1: You know, amazing. And when I just touched on that, you said you, you've you deadlifted four times your body weight, and you've got a couple of world records, which is really impressive. And tell us a little bit about your time working with Louis Simmons at Westside Barbell.
0: It was crazy. It was crazy. I mean, Louis is like a father to me. He He's incredible. He... uh I'll say this in the three months plus that I was there, I added over 300 pounds to my total, which oh. is outrageous. That's just an insane amount of strength gain in a relatively brief period. It was like three months? Three months, wow. yeah. And, and I wasn't a newbie either. Like I wasn't brand new to lifting. I, I had I had already deadlifted three times my body weight. Like I'd already, it, it, was, it wasn't like, oh wow. Like he took him from well, nothing newbie games. intermediate. It was like, it was, it was pretty damn significant it was without question the hardest training I've ever done in my life. Um, I trained 11 times a week. So we went Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, we had two sessions per day. And then Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, we had one session per day. And uh, I mean, Louis was just incredibly kind and generous. He took me out to breakfast and lunch every day. West side is an invite only gym. It's not a gym that, that anyone can go to. It's not a gym that you just show up or it's not like you have a membership card the only way you get the address and, and are allowed to go is if you're invited there. So I was very fortunate to have Louie take me under his wing and, and really show me the the science and practice of strength and conditioning.
1: Well, and any, can, any kind of major tips maybe for anyone who's in, into kind of powerlifting or strength training now? Can I end in maybe any takeaways? Like you just train hard, train consistently, train twice a day?
0: <laughs> um, well, you know, it's interesting. I think – My time there was it was perfectly timed in that if I had stayed there and kept up that intensity and frequency I think I would have beat my body down and I mean you can look at Louis you can look at a lot of the lifters who are there their their bodies are broken it's not meant to be done for a long 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 period of time and Louis will be the first to tell you he'll die in the gym he loves lifting heavy it's what his heart is all about like he that's what he loves more than anything so it's worth it to him. if I was going to give a tip to someone, especially based on a lot of the stuff that I learned, I would say, I mean, I, I think here's a good one. This is going towards like training intensity. One of the more common questions and Dave Tate speaks about this all the time. You know, like one of the more common questions he gets is to the effect of, well, if I could train at West side, then I would be that strong. Right. Cause West side has the strongest lifters in the world. And so it's not even a question. People are like, well, if I could train there, of course I'd be that strong. And Dave Tate would always be like, well, if, if you would get that strong, if you were at Westside, then why can't you get that strong when you're at home? Why can't you get that strong at your gym? Why is your training intensity predicated on being somewhere else? Yeah. It's like, if you are really that kind of an individual, if you're really that intensive an individual, if you're really that hard of a worker, doesn't matter if you're at Westside or not, doesn't matter where you are, you're going to put in the work. And so a lot of people will look at Westside on YouTube or videos and be like, oh man, if I trained there, I'd be that strong. It's like, so take that intensity and bring it to where you are, if, if that's really the kind of person sure.
1: that you are. Yeah, so, so it kind of really really boils down to intensity and kind of how hard are you really pushing yourself? How much are you leaving in the tank? Absolutely. Or would you say it's something to do with maybe what I took note of there was this whole kind of concept of success breeds success and being around these beasts and these animals, like there's no option to slack. Like you
0: couldn't slack around these people. I, I mean, there's no question that environment is a, huge, is a is a huge part of success in terms of... You surround yourself with people who are stronger than you, faster than you, better than you, like you're going to get better as long as you don't quit because it's going to push you to be better. If you surround yourself with people who are satisfied with the status quo and and they're not really that, they're not much of a go-getter, then you're going to be around that and you're probably going to take up a lot of those habits. So clearly it is a, it is a, it's clear in the research as well, like this isn't just anecdote like you can see, see very clearly in the literature that your environment your surroundings the people around you massively dictate or helping um can predict what you're going to end up like as well so I, I think i'll never forget when one of my first days at Westside, you know brandon Lilly, no one of the strongest guys in the world a real scary scary human being like in like at least probably six foot four six foot five uh 280 300 pounds just huge beast of a man and uh I was taking a, a, a safety squat bar, max, close stance, low box squat, max effort, uh, repetition. And they, and I was working up to more weight than I'd ever squatted, period. Never mind safety squat bar, close stance, low box. Like it was the complete most, it was, it was outrageous. And I was, a, I, was a, I was about 127, 130 pounds at the time. And they put 275 pounds on the bar. And it was more than I'd ever squatted at that point in my life. And I was like, there, there's no way that's coming up. I was like, I haven't squatted that in the best of conditions, never mind safety squat bar, close dance, low box. Yeah, yeah, and and there, Louis was like, get the fuck under the bar. And uh, <laughs> I was like, all right. And I remember I got under and I was in the monolift and, and I felt it. And like, you know, when you get under a heavy bar, it's just you feel it pressing yeah. into your back and you're like, oh my God, like there's no way. And I was, and I took it down. I was going down, going down, going down. And Brandon Lilly, he came up right in front of my face. Like literally if he like reached out, he could have touched me. He can't, and this guy's tattooed head to toe massive. Just like the, he looks like a freaking bear and he screams the loudest I've ever heard anybody scream in my life. He was like, get the fuck up. Like, and I legit thought this guy was going to kill me and I squatted it and I got back up and it was, I remember just being in shock. I was like, I can't believe that weight just came up. And it was it was a good squat. Like it went all the way down, touched the box, all the way back up. But yeah, man, environment can be massively, massively influence how you uh how you train and how you perceive things and how hard you're willing to push.
1: Yeah, big time. It's something that David Goggins talks about a lot as well, is this whole kind of concept. When you think you're done, you're only at forty percent. There's still a lot more in <laughs> exactly the time. If you really wanted to push out. Another kind of, kind of, kind of really kind of, what would you say, famous person that you've been associated with is obviously Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, you are his personal trainer for for three years. How did you How did you get into that?
0: So I started making content in 2011. I just started writing for my website in 2011, uh, long before I ever knew who Gary was or Instagram didn't even exist then. Um I was actually I started it while I was training at Westside, just so I could write about what I was learning and and what my training was like. And um, I didn't know a business was possible. I didn't know PayPal existed. I didn't know people would pay me for coaching online, like wasn't a thing then. So I was just writing articles and and everything. And it just so happened that one of the articles that I wrote was seen by someone who at the time was living in, uh, in Chicago, they were an accountant in Chicago. Through a crazy chain of events, that article, the guy who saw that article years later moved to New York. He became Gary's coach, and his name is Mike Vicanti. And then after his time was up with Gary, Gary was like, who's going to coach me next? And Mike was like, I think I know a guy. And it was all because he started following me from an article I wrote in 2012, which was based around improving your posture. And Gary had a lot of postural issues, a lot of knee, hip, back, neck pain. Shoulder issues, serious shoulder issues, and Mike followed me ever since 2012 because of that one article, and uh, and then he just recommended me after that.
1: Wow! And then can it, any kind of big takeaways? Obviously, can it, he's a he's a beast in the business world. Kind um, of obviously, you you've you've a huge following well, over 600,000 on Instagram, over 100,000 on uh, on YouTube. Did like did, like? Would you kind of credit him for any of that success? Is it, is it stuff you've learned off him, or any other key takeaways?
0: You know. Gary is incredible. And and I I love him to death. And he's like family to me. I I credit with him a lot. I credit him with a lot of what I've done. I credit him in the same way that I would credit Louie, for example, Louie didn't deadlift four times his body weight. Like he didn't get me to do that. Right. It was, it was teaching me principles. It was, and teaching me what to do and helping me with technique. Um, but it, it was me who put in the effort. Right. So Gary really what Gary did more than anything, and I'll tell you a story. I remember one morning uh, we had just got off a plane. It was two in the morning. Gary, his videographer, D-Rock and myself got off the plane. We were walking in the airport and Gary just comes up right next to me and, uh, and he goes, he, and, cause I was on my phone. It was two in the morning. We're walking to the airport. I'm just like doing this like on Instagram. Cause I was posting three times a day, every day on Instagram. And that's when my audience really went from, 5,000 up to over 200,000 in the span of a year. Oh. Uh, and, and he was like, let me ask you a question. He was like, how much harder do you work now than you did before you started coaching me? And, and keeping in mind, I had a business before I started coaching Gary. I was working online. I was living in Israel, like on the beach. Like I was doing, I was doing well. But, and I thought that I was working hard. But when I saw how hard Gary worked, then I was like, I'm really not working that hard. Yeah. And I told Gary, I was like, I'm working so much harder now than I've ever worked in my entire life. And it was directly, it was a direct result of seeing what Gary does, seeing how hard he works, seeing how hard he pushes himself, seeing how much time he actually spends on social media. And so all of the, the hard work that I put in all the time, all the effort, all the learning like that in the same way that I will never, ever take credit for one of my clients results. I, I will also take that as like, I put in that work. But it is absolutely without question as a direct result of seeing how hard he worked and me directly applying that in the same way, me seeing how hard Louie lifts at 70 years old, deadlifting over 700 pounds, like seeing that, I'm like, okay, well, I, what's my excuse if I really want to do this and I really have to work. So it's all of my success wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for what I learned from seeing these other people. But I also know it wouldn't have been possible if I saw all of that stuff, but didn't take action as a result of it.
1: Yeah, big time. And I know you kind of have your, your online, your inner circle, um, and you seem to have a great habit of kind of getting yourself around these kind of successful people that maybe kind of push you to the next level. And kind of, from I'm not sure if you read the book, Think and Grow, which is kind of concept of the mastermind and this kind of stuff. Is that mm-hmm. something you, that you're kind of into? Or is that, would you say that's part of your success?
0: What specifically?
1: So kind of getting around, getting around um, kind of people who are kind of maybe living on the level that you want to live and kind of the core of
0: your inner circle, bringing people together and then the the law of synergy, everyone comes together and achieves more. Absolutely. And and I've never read that book. I've seen it get amazing reviews and people speak very highly of it. Um, But from a very young age, I've been incredibly fortunate to surround myself with people who are exponentially better than me in literally every way. Uh, and I think that's helped me become a better person have a better mindset, be more patient, be stronger, be more independent. Um, so yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, big time. Cool. Um, yeah. So I seen, I actually watched the, some of your YouTube videos there recently. Um, I seen you done one video, you had one big Mac a day for 30 days and you lost seven pounds. Kind of what was the, what was your thinking behind that video? What did, what were you maybe trying to get across to your audience?
0: Yeah. So for me, the biggest thing is there's a lot, number one, there's a lot of misinformation around, around food and and weight loss specifically. But I think more importantly, I see a lot of people having guilt around food, right? They, they have a slice of pizza at their daughter's birthday party and they freak out. They, they have a slice of cake at like at a, at their nephew's graduation ceremony and and they feel guilty about it. And, And then from there, once they have that guilt, they end up, saying they screwed up their diet, and they quit, and then they binge, and then they, this is the yo-yo cycle, right, where they, they're doing well, they have one slice of pizza at their daughter's birthday party, feel like a failure, because they had a freaking slice of pizza, and then they end up going this binge cycle, and I was like, this has to stop, this is ridiculous, so what I did was, I, I really, I wanted to do this for years, but I, I didn't have a videographer, and I'm glad that I waited until I had my videographer Rico, because he did a tremendous job with it, But basically, I think everyone sort of looks at McDonald's as the pinnacle of unhealthy food. Uh, And like, especially like the Big Mac is like the like, that's got to be the worst kind of food for you that and Twinkies are like the two really, (laughs) really bad ones. And um, so I was like, I'm gonna eat one Big Mac every single day. And not just a Big Mac, I'll eat one Big Mac in addition to my diet as a whole. And I'll lose weight while doing it to show you that you can include your favorite foods in moderation while continuing to lose weight and be healthy. And the whole purpose of this wasn't to say that Big Macs are healthy, because they're not. It's not to say that McDonald's is the pinnacle of health, because it's not. And I'm not encouraging anybody to eat McDonald's or Big Macs every day. All I'm saying is you can include your favorite foods on a regular basis and still make progress as long as you don't quit.
1: Yeah. I think it's this kind of concept of let's stop focusing on the single foods and let's start looking at your day or your week as a whole rather than being so obsessed with is
0: a Big Mac good for me? That's 100% right. That's exactly it.
1: And then I also watched. The, actually just watched the carnivore video earlier on today, um, which was very good. Again, I actually took note of myself. I was like, if you're going to do like say a diet experiment video, this is how it's done. It was very, very good. Thank you, man. So, can I? What did you? What did you get? Get? Get out of that experience? I know maybe your digestive issues and stuff weren't, <laughs> weren't the
0: best. Yeah, uh, the digestion was really, uh, really a, a torturous experience on that part. Um, I got a lot from that. I, I would say, yeah, I, mean, I got a lot from it both learning from a nutrition and coaching perspective, but also from like a business perspective as well. Um, and, and what I mean by that is every time I've done a challenge, I've gotten hate, yeah. like, especially at the beginning of it. And I have close friends who do the carnivore diet. I have close friends who are strong propon- proponents of the carnivore diet. Um, and, and it's been interesting. When I first started making content, I went really hard on like really just saying exactly what I believed, saying it as it is. Number one, because it's true. And number two is because I had nothing to lose. There was a period of time where as I started to grow in audience size and more eyes started to see me, I started to get nervous and anxious about putting myself out there too much in terms of if I go too hard in, against this one thing, I'm going to get attacked. And I, it was just like, it's inevitable. But I think really over the last three to six months, I've become much more confident, sort of going back to my original, my original self when I first started, like the I have nothing to lose mindset yeah. and just being like, listen, I'm just going to say the truth as though I have nothing to lose because what I realized over the time that I, that I really tried not to, not to step on too many toes is I created more anxiety for myself and I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve. And so I think one of the best things for me as a as an individual with that video was I knew from the outset people were going to be really mad that I did that video, and there were people going to be very upset with me about it, but I knew it was the truth, and I knew I had to do it in order to do what I knew was right. So I think that that video for me was a huge stepping stone, a huge milestone for many aspects in terms of giving the truth and, and teaching people about nutrition and and all of that, but also for me as a as an individual saying. You have to do what you know is right, even when it's scary.
1: Yeah. And to, from my knowledge, anyway, can I kind of became aware of the carnivore diet. I think it was mostly Jordan Jordan Peterson on Joe Rogan is kind of where I kind of really, really picked it up. And obviously, for anyone who doesn't know, it's kind of basically, what are you, you only eat? meat, eggs, a small amount of dairy, and not much else. It's basically a zero-carb diet. And yeah. Well, one of the kind of surprising benefits you did have was you, you, you did say you had a, a, an increase in mental clarity or mental focus. Um, was yep. that something that you anticipated going in? Because obviously, i I did a little bit of the research. I even kind of joined a, a Facebook group with, with a load of carnivores, and they, they are like, can be a little bit crazy. Um, but it is very interesting. Some people really do love it. And um, were you surprised
0: to see any benefits at all come out of it? I was, I was shocked. I, I was absolutely shocked because I've had ADD my whole life. And I've always been all over the place. And I've just always thought like, that's just my normal. That's just what I'm like. And it was very odd for me to have a like laser focus, just like not really going all over the place, not rambling, just very easy for me to sit down and focus and get something done. I'd never experienced that before. It was very odd. And uh, that being said, I measured five things. I measured my blood pressure, my weight, uh, my mental focus and clarity, my energy performance, and uh and my digestion and four of those things went to shit and one of them did well so I was like okay I'm more than happy to sacrifice uh my mental clarity and focus to make sure these other four things are great so and not to mention just I like carbs literally I have a bowl of popcorn as we're doing like I just like carbs I'm not gonna give them up like I enjoy them (laughs)
1: <laughs> and what, what do you think the kind of the mental clarity came from obviously kind of from my perspective i'd say like first thing that kind of comes to mind would be obviously with the ketones kind of this is a similar a similar um, effect that people uh, say they get from say a ketogenic diet but from my perspective i think you probably get the best of both worlds from doing some form of intermittent fasting where can you're going to elevate the, the, the level of ketones in your blood is that something you've ever kind of maybe tracked or considering you got such a benefit from it would it be something that you'd like to maybe experiment with in the future i know you can get exogenous ketones all this kind of stuff
0: you know, it very well might be something I dig into in the future. I have, I have a number of other challenges lined up that I, I want to go through first. Um, it, it is interesting to me, and it would it is something I would like to dig into deeper. See if there's a way. What, what really interests me, to be frank with you, is to see if there's a way to replicate that without completely eliminating carbs. Mm. Uh, to see if there's a way to get that mental focus and clarity without destroying my digestion without completely eliminating carbs see, seeing if there's a way to do it a little bit more balanced uh, and, I, and i very well might try and design a challenge based around that for sure because cool. i think it would be worthwhile and actually very beneficial for people
1: cool i guess and i said i know there is a supplement you get that called exogenous ketones or basically you basically just drink them i kind of experimented with them kind of with some endurance training a while back and um, they're, they're pretty decent they're quite expensive uh, but it's something maybe worth looking into Oh, did that help you? Did you like those? Yeah, big time. I thought for, from an from endurance perspective, I thought it definitely was pretty useful. You know, I kind of was kind of, again, I, I was a low-carber back in the day, um, kind of because, again, I was just obsessed with losing as much weight as possible. And kind when I stood on the scales with a low-carb diet, when I was glycogen depleted and, you know, my body wasn't holding on the water, I was always, you know, two or three pounds lighter than normal. So I thought lighter is better. And, you know, so I kind of stuck with that for a while and obviously as I maybe transitioned towards kind of more flexible dining approach, but I still really do like things like intermittent fast and stuff. And I, you know, don't like to maybe be having to eat, you know, three, four, five times a day. If you're not hungry in the morning, it's like, it's not a big deal. there's nothing magic about breakfast. It's kind of do what suits you. The key is, it's like, don't just do it because you think this is the quickest path to results. And I feel like maybe that's one, of, I'm sure one of your fears with the carnivore diet and something I see maybe in that Facebook group I've infiltrated is, you know, people aren't necessarily doing it for um, what it's recommended for by Jordan Peterson, these kind of people as an elimination diet. It's like a, just yep. a really severe elimination diet. And um, these people are doing it because they think I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to lose a hundred pounds in, in, in three months
0: or something, you know? That's exactly right. A hundred percent.
1: I listen, before I last, ask my last question, kind of where's, the, where's the best place for people to, um, to to find you, get in touch with you, kind of follow you?
0: Uh, people can find me on, on Instagram or YouTube, or if they Google my name, Gordon Syatt, S-Y-A-T-T, H E T, you'll find my podcast, Instagram, YouTube, all that stuff.
1: Cool, cool. Happy days. And then, obviously, listen, the last question is obviously at the, at the minute, it's a little bit of a, a crazy time. I'm sure that's the first time you've heard that. Um, <laughs> I, I think I heard on the James Smith podcast, you went your home in Boston now. You can, you're, you're usually living in New York, you went home to Boston, spend time with your mom. Um, what advice would you have for anybody maybe who's struggling now? Kind of maybe they're the kind of type of person who wants to stay on top of their fitness goals, but maybe they're struggling with whatever, whatever that's going on. Kind of what advice would you give to them? I think maybe anxiety and stuff is is, is a big factor for people right now. Any any tips for, for people?
0: Yeah, I would say do do what I did in terms of you have to make a schedule. I just have it like a written out, handwritten, a schedule every day. I think one of the things that people are really struggling with right now is their entire normal schedule is ruined. It's they they don't have the maybe wake up every day at a certain time and either go to the gym or go to work or whatever it is. And a lot of anxiety will stem from ambiguity when you don't have a definitive schedule. So what I think you should do is, is take some time today to handwrite a schedule, what time you're going to wake up every day, what time you're going to work out every day. And and if that's it, if that's all you do, that's it. That's you're productive. You've done something, but have a clear definitive time. This is when you wake up. This is when you work out. And a workout could be a 15-minute walk. That Good if time, that's yeah. what you need for a certain day, great. But make time to work out and make time to get up. And if you want, also make time to go to bed. A specific wake up time, workout time, bedtime. At least have that block of time scheduled because if nothing else, it's gonna reduce the ambiguity, reduce the anxiety, and keep you on some semblance of a program.
1: That's next. That's something I, I kind of talk about with our clients about a little bit. Can we kind of call it John you know, Design Your Perfect Day? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the key thing to remember about it is, um, I think, is, you know, it's not a prison. It doesn't, you don't have, the, the day doesn't have to look exactly like this just because you're written on a piece of paper. It's going to just give you a little bit of structure, a little bit of direction. Um, and maybe when you're maybe lost uh, in the moment and kind of what, what, what next, where to, you have a little bit of focus on the guide, guide you along
0: the journey. A hundred percent. I love that.
1: Excellent, Jordan. Listen, well, thank you very much for, for coming on us. today. We really, really appreciate it. I was surprised to even, even even hear back from you. Um, so, generally, thanks
0: so much for coming on. Hopefully, we can get you on at some point in the future. Man, it was, it was a pleasure coming on. You're a great host. I would love to come on another time. Thank you very much, Jordan. Really appreciate it. See you in the next one. Have a good one.